0: I want to look today, continuing on actually, this is kind of part two of, of our sermon last week about grace, um, and, and last week I talked about how, what happens when we miss grace, what happens when we don't understand grace, um, and today I want to talk a little bit about the fruit of grace, what, what happens when we, when we see what grace truly is. And how that affects our lives and how we live differently. I want to look at James chapter 1, 19 to 26. So if you follow along, that's James chapter 1, 19 to 26. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not only hearers, uh, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away at once he forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be a blessing in his doing. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. But religion that is pure, and undefiled before God is this that the, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world let's pray Heavenly Father your word is a blessing to us we say that every week but it is also and can also be quite a perturbing thing something that convicts us even offends us. Let us be offended where we need to be offended, convicted where we need to be convicted, that we would not be stagnant, but that we would grow and be transformed, that we would change, as you call us to change, that we would follow and not just sit. Father, let your word convict us, Move us, grow us. Let the words that I speak be tested by this word and moved by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to be referencing um, a few things from, from last week's sermon. And, and we talked about, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's account of God's words to him, which were, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And I see a similar thread here in James. A lot of people think that James and, and Paul kind of contradict each other. But a good way of explaining this is, is Paul focuses often on the root of salvation. And James here is, is talking about the, the fruit of that salvation, of, of our works. It's not, a, it's not a conflicting thing at all. And he actually starts with grace. Everything we have, every good thing in our life, is given, not because of us, but because of God's will and His grace. He says this in verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to do to change every good and perfect gift comes from Him and again what is our response then to to grace if if it's true that every good and and perfect gift comes from Him and not because of what we have done but, but because of His grace then we can't go around saying hey look what I got, look what I earned, look what I did no, our response to grace has to be Humility, knowing who we are and who God really is. I mean, you got to remember who we are in creation. Do you know what what Adam means? Adam Adam means this this guy who's who's made out of dirt, red clay. Is what Adam means. That's us. I mean, let's let's take that in comparison. That we are, are are created from the dirt, and yet we have this holy God who is all-powerful and almighty. And He has grace for us. It gives insight into, into David's understanding when he says, Who are we, God, that you are mindful of us? What is man that, that you would be mindful of him? He says in... in Um, verse 9 let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass its flower falls and beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits you see because it's not about our pursuits it's not about our paths or our workings but about his and it takes a lot of humility to see that and it takes an understanding of grace to see that so last week I spoke about what happens when we miss grace and this week I want to talk about what happens when we know grace so the first thing is understanding grace results in humility this is the first thing that we see when we understand grace C.S. Lewis has this great quote about Humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. I think that's a, a good way of framing what humility is. Philippians 2 is, is a good way of, 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 of pointing this. It says, consider others as more important than yourselves. That's a difficult thing today in our society. And this is what James and Paul were both getting at in these texts. It says in verse nineteen again, "Know this, my brothers: Let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls." receive with meekness without understanding grace we we miss that we we miss that 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 we have to receive it it's not just what we work for it's not just what we earn but we receive it with meekness all of this is about humility when we look at the law right verse 22 Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, and forgets what he is like. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be a blessing in his doing. When we look at this law, we see what we're really like. When we look at the the, the Ten Commandments, the law of God is found in in Leviticus and and Deuteronomy and Numbers. This law is a mirror. And it doesn't show how amazing we are, right? Like if you look at the Ten Commandments and you judge yourself based on that, that's not going to show how amazing you are. Right? We've, we've all told lies. We've all stolen at some point. We've all disobeyed our parents. That law is gonna bring us to conviction. It's gonna humble us. We can't look at that law and saying, Oh, yeah, I do all those things. I'm I'm a great guy. It's showing us that we all fall short of the glory of God. It's humbling us so that we can see grace. And the result of grace, the result of understanding what God has given us, not because we we earned it, but because of who he is, the result of that is humility. And then this opens up to how grace influences how we speak. When we understand grace, how we speak to one another changes. None of us are perfect in this, I will say. I certainly am not. Last year, week, if, if you weren't here, I showed this clip. And, and maybe you were here and you didn't understand why I showed this clip. But um, It's a U.S. talk show. And they were interviewing the comedian, Martin Short, who's known for being one of those weird celebrities who's actually not been involved in, in scandal. And he's had a long, happy marriage to the same woman. And and the interviewer, um, Kathy Lee Gifford, you've you probably heard of her, um, she asked him about his wife and she says, "Oh, it's wonderful, you know, how, how, how great your marriage is." And and um and and she says, "You know, how have you made it last so long? How have you stayed together for so long?" And and when you look at Hollywood marriages, you see that they 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 um they fall apart all the time. And and they've been married for 34 years and and um and he makes a couple jokes. And he says, well, finally, it's because I'm cute. Um, And then they go on with the interview. Um, But what they the reality was, and, and what the interviewer, Mrs. Gifford, missed was that his beloved wife of 34 years had died two years before that interview. And instead of getting mad and saying, how dare you, How dare you not know that? I I, I am so offended. And and instead of walking out and, and, and writing a letter to the station to have her fired, he just made a couple jokes and kept going. He showed grace. And certainly he would have been offended. But he had grace. That is being slow to anger, slow to speak. Verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I mean, we live in, a, in an age of, if you wrong me or you offend me, I'm going to tell you about it. you got to know. I'm going to complain to everybody. I'm, I'm going to write a bad review, right? That's what we do on, online. I, I'm going to speak to the manager. I'm offended and you should be punished. That's not slow to anger, slow to speak. Again, I'll, I'll reiterate from last week. If we find ourselves angry, we find ourselves wanting to speak, wanting to tell somebody off, to say it like it is, right? That's, that's what we say a lot. They're like That's a good thing, right? We, we, we should be proud of just saying it like it is. Well, the question to ask before we do that, because there is a righteous anger, right? I mean, we know Jesus and John, they, they called people a brood of, of vipers. Um, Paul, he, he argued with people who, who deserved to be argued with. There, there's a righteous anger, but the question to ask is, are we angry because it offends us, or are we angry because it offends God? That's how you know the difference between selfish anger and righteous anger. And the next question is, do we need to be offended? Because now, not only does grace affect how we speak, but it also affects how we listen. Look at Acts 2. Many of Peter's sermons, and many of Peter's sermons, the sermon in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost was offensive. He starts talking about Jesus and and he's saying who Jesus is. Then he turns to the crowd and he says, you know what, this Savior, you killed him. Talk about offensive. You're the ones that killed him. You can't get much more offensive than that. Peter talks about how God had promised a Savior and all of these people, they had been waiting for the Savior they knew what he was talking about. And and, and and he's probably saying this, and they're getting excited. And, and then he drops this bombshell, and he says, you killed him. They needed to be offended in that moment. They needed to have their godly sorrow. They needed to change direction. And so their reaction, those who, who believed and understood what, what, what Peter was saying their reaction is, what must we do now? And the answer was the gospel. The answer wasn't what they should do, but what Jesus had done. See, Jesus in Matthew 3, 2, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven, or, for the kingdom is at hand. I've heard people talk about that, that, that very short verse often, we love to talk about that second part. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, one of the most popular um, uh, subjects now is, is end times. We love to talk about the end times. We love to talk about what's going to happen in Revelation. And if you believe then that the kingdom is at hand, if you believe all of those things that you read and all of those books and all of those videos that the return of Jesus is coming soon, His command is not that you stay the same and start reading books about it, but His command is that you repent. Which literally means to turn direction. If you really believe all of this stuff that is out there about the end times, if you believe what is written in in Scripture about the end times, you cannot stay the same. If 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 you're staying the same, you're missing something vital in that. Because he says, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And and, and repent literally means to turn direction. If we keep going the direction that is not leading to a closer walk with God, then he's moving us to turn. But so often we are so filled with pride, or often we are so filled with, with comfort in where we are now, that we close ourselves off to that call to repent we close ourselves off to any sort of change or growth and anytime someone says anything otherwise we stand back and we say I am offended and we shut off that message that we probably need to hear Jesus tells this parable he tells the uh, of a master who gives each of his servants a few dollars and and then he goes away and most of the servants, uh, two of the servants out of the three, they invest money in one way or the other, and they make money. They, they grow that wealth that he has given them. Remember these words, that, that they grow that wealth that he has given them. But one servant, he thinks, well, you know, the, the master, he, he can be pretty harsh. I don't want to lose this money. I'm, I'm just going to go bury it. And so he buries it in the ground so that he doesn't lose it. So those who, who sought growth and took what the what the Master had given them, they were rewarded because they had, had grown what he had given them. The servant who simply buried it and left it the same, he was punished. This is from Matthew 25. And it ends with one of the most uncomfortable verses in Scripture. Verse 29, Matthew 25, 29. For to everyone... Who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What is it talking about there? It's this growth to one who has been picked up from the depths of sin, to the one who's been picked up from the depths of sin, who realizes how far down they were. To realize how far God has reached to pick them up, this makes sense to the one who has experienced God's grace. But to the one who says, "Ah, eh, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm good the direction I'm going. I don't need to. I don't need to change. I'll, I'll just hold on to what I have and and coast into heaven on on my own merit." They don't understand this. They're the ones who have little, who all will be taken away. That's the thing. He will come back, right? Like we we believe that the kingdom is at hand and and Jesus will return. This parable is about this kingdom. He's going to come back. And there'll be judgment. And they'll ask, "What what did you do with those things I gave you? Those giftings I gave you. What did you do with that faith that I gave you? What did you do with the grace that I gave you? And that's the point of this parable. How would you answer that that question? We often bury the commands of God, the commands that God gave us, only pulling them out when we need to tell somebody else what they need to do. But never using them to convict ourselves or to grow ourselves. Sure, you've got a neighbor who, who doesn't know Jesus, but really needs to know the gospel. And you say, "Well, I, I just don't know what to say. I'm just not good at that." Well, what are you going to do about that? Remember, repentance means going in a in a different direction. So, repent. Go in a different direction. Go learn. Search the scriptures. Go, go, go. Get get some kind of training on that. Do something different. Remember, Jesus is living water, right? And we are followers of Jesus. Uh, The tree of life, right? All through Scripture we have this language that points to growth and, and movement and transformation. We read in Romans that He is transforming you into the image of His Son. Transforming you. The Bible never, ever, ever talks about how we sit and observe. All the language about how we interact with Christ Is language of movement and growth. Jesus is the living water. And that is the water we we drink. But what happens to water when it never moves, it never flows? It stagnates and it becomes poisonous and it brings death. So the short and simple of, of that. It's okay to be told that we need to change. It's okay to be challenged. It's okay when things offend you. But this is one of those those texts we often apply to other people rather than to ourselves, right? You all should be slow to speak and quick to listen to me. <laughs> That's how we often apply that, right? You should be slow to speak and quick to listen to what I have to say. You know, I, I encourage people, and, and and this is often what we do when we search Scripture. We, 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 we know something that somebody said, and, and that thing offends us or, or that thing disagrees with what we believe. So we go to the scripture to prove that person wrong. Do we ever go to the scripture to prove ourselves wrong? <laughs> Probably not. It's a good practice to go to scripture and, and say, is what, what I believe true? Is the direction I'm going the right direction? To apply this to ourselves and, and, and not to other people. Because when we read it, it it is meant for us. But it requires humility. And it requires an understanding of grace. In fact, James goes ahead and says it. He says, you need to hear this. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. So he's saying, look, the way you're living isn't good. James was, James was willing to say that. And and before you can, with, with, with meekness, receive the implanted word, put away all filthiness and wickedness. I mean, really, James, who are you to tell me what to do? That would be our response today. Right? But Scripture says that conviction is, is, is a good thing. But conviction will lead to sorrow. It will lead to godly sorrow. And it's okay to feel sorry. It's the start of, of, of moving to knowing that, that you can't sit in that same place forever. It's okay to be told, Hey, you gotta change directions because godly sorrow brings conviction, which leads to repentance and righteousness. You know, imagine you're, you're driving down the road in a, in a new place. You're speeding along. You're very sure of where you're going. Men, you know how this goes. You don't want to listen to anybody, and you're sure where you're going is right, even though you don't know where you're going. And 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 you get to a point where the where the road is is closed, and, and you're saying, "Nope, look, this is the right way to go. I, I know this is the right way to go." And and everybody's telling you, "You gotta you gotta stop. You gotta turn around." And and you're saying, "How how dare you? I I've studied the maps. I know what I'm doing, and they're right." That's how we often look at our, our faith life and our walk with Jesus. And finally, then, how does grace impact how we serve? Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Notice again, this isn't the act of sitting. This isn't the act of observing. This isn't the act of being an audience member on a Sunday morning. This is action. Something that we do, a way that we move, visit, go. One of the modern day sayings you hear a lot is, I'm a Christian, but I'm not religious. That, That drives me nuts. Uh, or, or you know, it's this negative thing that we have about saying religious. And that's not biblical. Religion is a good thing. It's the practice of one's faith. James is saying here, look, the problem isn't religion. The problem is we've gotten religion wrong. If we have faith in Jesus, then we act like we have faith in Jesus. If we understand grace, then that's going to impact what we do. Don't be a light hidden under a bowl or a light hidden in a church building You know, or, or, or hidden behind your busyness or your lack of confidence or your lack of knowledge or your worry about your image or your politics or whatever. We're a light that shines and out of grace, pure religion that is undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's a bit of a repeat for Micah 6.8. The Israelites, they were doing all of the, the right rules. They were doing the worship the right way. They were, they were doing the temple sacrifices. They were observing all the traditions and, and all of that. Meanwhile, they were also worshiping idols. Um, but their wicked hearts, in addition to that, they were oppressing the poor and victimizing people. And God said, look, that's not what I want. I've told you what I want. To seek justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with the Lord. Notice again, the language of movement. Going, moving, changing. Not sitting still. This is our response to grace. It's not how we earn salvation, by the way. I want to make that clear. That doing this isn't how we earn salvation. But this is a response to grace. Jesus says, forgive as you have been forgiven god gave us life while we were still undeserving he fulfilled justice for us when we could not so this is our response and knowing grace knowing what he has done for us bears fruit in our desire to do justice for others this isn't what is called social justice That's not what this is. It's not looking good to society. It's not promoting oneself. It's not trying to earn whatever because we're being nice. It is a response to what God has done. Sometimes we can have a knee-jerk reaction against this, against working among the poor and the needy because of how it makes us look socially and politically. But this is a command in Scripture. Look after the orphans and widows. First John says, look after those who are in need. Jesus says in Luke 3, to, to share your tunic with those who have none. Galatians 2.10. Paul says he was eager to look after the poor. These are biblical commands and, and biblical statements. Um, and if I went to the Old Testament, we'd be here for days. But this isn't so that we earn salvation. It's a response to that grace that he's given us. If we receive grace, we give grace. And so it changes how we work and I'll finish with with this. We sang that um, song "Amazing Grace" before. You see how grace moves us. Grace never leaves us the same. And and John Newton, the author of, of that song, is one of the greatest modern examples. Slave trader, overall bad guy. He he actually committed mutiny on his on his first ship, and he was known for. For just being a, a terrible guy. So much so, uh, two of his, his, his first, um, trips with, with a crew on a, on a boat, he was such a bad guy that they couldn't stand him so much that they just left him. <laughs> they, 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 they dropped him off and just left him. And if you read accounts about himself, You know, it shows this. But we've got this idealized view about him. So the the rumor has it that he was a slave trader, there was a storm, and he prayed to God, and and God saved him, and then on this ship he wrote Amazing Grace and he simply stopped being a slave trader. If that was the story, the real story, God's grace would not have seemed nearly as amazing as John Newton saw it. That's not the story. No, in, in... In 1745, Newton became a slave himself. This was one of those times when the ship, the people on the ship, couldn't stand him so much that they dumped him off, and um, and he was a slave himself. Three years later, by God's grace, he was saved out of that. And you know how he responded to that grace? He went and said, "Oh, slavery is terrible. Right? I hate this experience." No. He went and started work as a slave trader himself. That that storm, 1748, he he prayed to God and God saved him. And by his grace, he was saved. And you know how he responded, right? He went back and still traded slaves. Even after praying to God and and committing his life to God, he still went back into sin. It wasn't actually until uh, nearly 30 years later that he found himself... uh, convicted he finally saw God's grace and acted on it I mean he was a slave himself and then when by God's grace he was saved he then went back into sin treated them uh, people as he had been treated and then he had been saved from the storm and then what did he do he went back into sin and so when he writes saved a wretch like me you can understand And yet, this man, who had been given grace and denied it year after year, yet God still gave him freely that grace that would change his heart. And he could finally say, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And it changed his heart so much that he came out of that and became an abolitionist. Because he had received that grace. When we realize our wretchedness, and how great, we realize how great our Savior is. When we realize we need to be changed, we need to move, we realize how great the one we're following into that movement is. There's, um, there's only grace. Grace grows us, transforms us. Just as it took a slave trader over 30 years after denying grace three times, to then become one who, who reaches out to save. That is what God is doing by His grace. He's transforming us, changing us, moving us. As we finish up, Tammy, I wonder if we could um, just sing, we'll just sing it a cappella, Amazing Grace. We're going to sing the old tune and leave the my chains part out, but we can get the same words up there if that's possible. I just want to sing that verse. If you could go back to that first verse there, Tammy. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God never leaves us where we are. He doesn't leave us sitting in the position of being lost. He doesn't leave us blind, but He moves us through His grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you for your grace. Father, convict us where we need to be convicted. Because even that is your grace. That you're moving us. Not calling us to sit. But calling us to follow. Open those doors to where you want us to go. Help us to see those places. But that we would go by your leading. Not by our desire. Not by our comfort. Because you've given us grace. You've given us life. We respond by following you. Father, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.